you have a Bible nearby, we're going to be in the book of Haggai. You need to use the table of contents to find it. No worries. No worries at all. Haggai, probably not the most predictable place for Advent, but a couple years ago I felt drawn to this passage for Advent and then felt led back to it again this year. And so um, some of you may remember some of the... I just can't help but feel like it is a tremendously good place to start Advent, especially in uh, 2018, almost 19. It's a very appropriate uh, passage for us. And so I'm just going to dive right into it for the sake of time. Um, We're going to do the whole first chapter of of Haggai. And here's a little bit of background information. Um, The most important thing to the Jewish community was the temple. And, but it wasn't just a building that they really liked having or a really pretty place to go. It was the fact that the temple is where God dwelt among them. The temple was kind of the, the landing point, though. If you go, if you go from the, to the beginnings of the Bible all the way through to the end, the God of the Bible is a God who wants to be with his people, he created sons and daughters in his own image. Uh, he is a, a God of community, a God of relationship. He's always with his people, whether that's Adam and Eve in the garden, whether that is uh, being with Abraham, being with Moses, whether that was in the Ark of the Covenant as he traveled with uh, the children of Israel, whether that was in the tabernacle that they moved from place to place, or whether that was in the temple, God was with them. That was a very important thing to him. But it was also a very important thing to the people. Nothing was more important than the temple. And so uh, the first temple that was made, um, David kind of had the vision for it and gathered the resources. His son Solomon actually built the temple and dedicated it. And uh, not too long later, it was destroyed by the Babylonians. And so you might remember over the summer we talked about Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and that kind of part of Jewish history. So the Babylonians came in, they destroyed the temple, and they marched a lot of the people into, they brought them back to Babylon, into exile. And so they were away from home, but they were away from the temple. They watched the, the, basically the house of God be destroyed. Where God lived was destroyed. And they watched it happen, and then they got marched away. But there, was the, there were these prophecies that they lived under that, that told them that was going to happen, but also said that God was going to bring them back. And so they lived under this understanding that uh, eventually their exile would come to an end and they would get to go home. And when they got to go home, they got to go back and rebuild the temple. And so kind of what, what Haggai is, that's that part of, of the story when they have returned home, they're back to Jerusalem, they're back there, they're kind of cleaning up the rubble and the debris from the destruction. And so that's where the story picks up. Uh, but they finally got to go home and home, like not only what makes home home, it isn't like, wasn't necessarily their houses, their streets, their customs, all that kind of stuff. What made home home for them was the temple. That's how they knew who they were and they knew who God was. And from there, everything else would settle into place, but that was their main priority. So Let's go start verse 1. We'll go 1 through 4. I'll go in little, little bits. 
In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? So the people, they, they, they went back home and they started rebuilding the temple. They kind of got the slab, you know, done kind of thing. They started, but they were like, yeah, but we got houses too, you know. So they're working on their own houses and basically nothing ever really got done on the temple. They got to building their own houses and which I don't think God's against housing. But he says, like, notice, like he says, uh, verse four, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? What that means is like, that was extra stuff. That was extra uh, ornamentation. And like, I was making your house extra fancy. So he's like, oh, you're not only living in a house, you're living in a fancy house. And yet the temple has been ignored. It lies in ruins. So the most important thing to them should have been the temple where God would manifest his presence among his people and they could worship. And this should have been the top priority. But but instead of seeing that through, they got focused on their own lives and their own personal comforts. And it really wasn't about the, the temple itself. It wasn't about the building being rebuilt. It's about what the building, like the role that it played to them. That this is where God, God's, like where he manifests his presence among him. This is God with us. This is where that happened. And yet, they just got caught up in their own stuff. Their own comforts, their own whatever. And so... Uh, losing sight of the most crucial thing in life, which would be the presence of God with you, and being distracted and ultimately saying, my comfortable life is more important than you, God. My house looking extra awesome is more important than you. The money I put into my house is more important than the money we would put into the temple. The, the work, the labor, the time, the energy, the long, the long process of rebuilding is just too much, but our houses are attainable we'd rather live comfortable lives than live a life that gives you a place to dwell among us they lives are upside down and so god uh decided to do something about it and what's weird is if you look at verse five like they didn't even realize this was the thing they were kind of just buried in their own stuff like heads down plowing through life look at verse five so now therefore thus says the lord of hosts Consider your ways. You've sown much and harvested little. You eat, you eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You clothe yourselves but no one's warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes in it. He's like, look, I, I, I need to get your attention because you are not paying attention to the right things. Haven't you noticed that like nothing is really working? Haven't you noticed an, an emptiness that's there? Um, this was not like this is one of those great parenting moments where God knows how to get the attention of His children. 
And so what does he do? He sends a messenger. He sends Haggai in to say, like, hey, consider your ways. Like, like pick your heads up for a second look around at how empty everything is. You're doing all this work, but it's never satisfying to you. You're building these paneled houses, but you can never put enough paneling on them to satisfy you. Don't you notice that something huge is missing from your life, from the life of the community? Don't, don't you, can't you recognize it? And they couldn't. So he sends a messenger. That's what God does a lot of times with his prophets. Is he's like, hey, I'm going to go send in a mouthpiece to kind of clap a few times, get everyone's attention gathered around, and tell you what you cannot figure out on your own because you're too consumed with your own stuff. So verse 7, he basically says it all again. Uh, just in a different way. So look at verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. I'm talking about three haunting words coming from God. Consider your ways. Verse 8. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. That I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You've looked for much and behold it came to little. When you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I've called for a drought on the land and in the hills and on the grain, the new wine, the oil and what the ground brings forth on man and beast and on all their labors. So is God, is God being a jerk? You know, is this like, well, made me mad, so now I'm going to withhold everything. I say, no, that's like, this is the only thing that will get your attention. And, it's, and you're still missing it. Haven't you noticed it's not raining a whole lot? And yet, you, you don't ask me to help you with the rain. Don't you notice that the crops are not producing very much, and yet you don't come to me and ask for the help? Don't you notice this and this and this and this? And they're like, they had to be like, oh yeah, yeah. And yet the temple and the way it was set up and everything, like that is how they worshiped. That's how they brought their prayers to the Lord. That's how it worked back then. And he's like, so you're investing all your time and all your energy and all your money and all your resources and all your everything into something that's fruitless instead of going to the one thing that I have told you to do that will breathe life into you and into all of your efforts. So God's not being a bully here. He loves them enough to say, I'm going to get your attention. Parents, you ever do that with your kids? They ever not pay attention and you have to kind of like take a drastic measure to get their attention? My parents sure did. My parents knew exactly what buttons to push with us to make us pay attention. That's what good parents do. They don't let their kids just, just continue to destroy themselves. Sometimes you have to go to a certain extent to get their attention. And that's what God is doing here. So when he says, consider your ways... Basically, he's telling them, like, hey, you're, you're missing the point. You're missing the point of your entire life. The entire point of your life is God with you. You were created to be with God and him with you. Everything else, everything else flows out of that. Commandment one, that's what God is saying. Over and over and over again throughout the entire Bible, God's like, look, I, you and I are meant to be connected together. 
And he's not going to, it's, it's not because his ego is bruised. It's not because he's, he's mad at them or whatever. He loves them enough to say, I, you are going down a path that's going to destroy you. This is the path to life. Pay attention. Consider your ways. Get to work. Build the house. Let me, me be at the center, like, let me be the centerpiece of your life and, and your community's life and everything about it, it needs to flow a certain direction. That's, that's the point. So I think that Advent can be to us what Haggai was to them. I think that Advent being this, it can be this kind of reorienting messenger to you and to me. Now, I'm not saying this, uh, this is not a, like, I'm, this is not like a corrective thing of like, come on guys, we've got to get our ducks in a row here. That's not what I'm saying. Some of your ducks are perfectly lined up, okay? What I'm saying is that this season of Advent, the point of it, I mean, it, Advent started showing up in like the 300s, okay? People have been doing this a while. The point of this is to kind of regroup a little bit. And say, hey, are, are we giving enough, enough focus to God being with, like, with us? See it in the Old Testament. Then the Word becomes flesh and dwells among us. Like, He walked the earth. He was with us. And when He left, He sent the Spirit to come and dwell within us. So now He's literally inside of us at all times. I mean, like, that, are we dialed into that reality enough? Or do we need to consider our ways right now with our lives? Here is a 23-day season for us to humbly be open-handed enough to say, God, if I need reorientation, I'll do it. Let's recalibrate my life to where uh, I'm not like they were in the Old Testament, where I'm so consumed with my own stuff that I'm ignoring the fact that you being with me is the greatest of of all gifts. Is you are the source of life for me. So during this this three weeks and days, we we're longing and we're expecting and we're getting ready, anticipating um, like all this return of uh, of the Lord. And we wanted to get our attention. We're looking at his first coming. We're looking at the second coming. Here we are in between them, and we're saying, okay. Uh, how now should I? Am I? How now shall I live? What, what am I supposed to do with, with my life? And so, like John said earlier, it's about preparing room for the Lord. Let every heart prepare Him room, and heaven and nature sing. And so, it's about the like if the incarnation of Jesus, Him coming to Bethlehem, was Him breaking our world. Advent is about the breaking in of Jesus into our like everyday, every moment lives. You may not live this way, but a lot of people, I think, feel like like there are certain things that they, certain parts of life that you invite the Lord into, and there are some things that are kind of impenetrable, or we kind of act, 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 that, act that way, you know. We don't invite Him necessarily into everything. We kind of keep Him at a distance. Maybe we get buried in our own to-do list, in our own like whatevers, and Although God being with us, it, it is a 24-7 reality for you and for me. That's, it's, it isn't about is he with you or is he not with you. It's about how aware are you and how much do you treasure his presence with you at work, 
on your commute as you're studying for finals, right? Like him being with, with you and with me. And so we have to consider our ways. And you know, there's a lot of stuff about Christmas that is, it's the Christmas season that's very fun. You know, and it's, it, I think it's great to have a blast at Christmas. De- decorate stuff and sing Christmas songs and like do, just do it. It's awesome. Okay. There's some weird stuff in there. Okay. So as long as you aren't teaching your, your kids like deeply rooted earning narratives that are going to scar them into adulthood, I think it's great to engage in a lot of the Christmas traditions and stuff like that that's out there. Let me say that again or no? There's some weird earning narratives that are out there, right? Be careful with that. What I'm saying is there's so much that's fun and positive. It's just like, a, it's a great time. But that's not what Advent is. Those are like, maybe we can just separate those out. Advent is different. Advent is, is deep. It is internal. It is, uh, it's kind of dark because you're recognizing like, man, we, we live in a dark world. Like that candle that's burning right there, that, that hope candle that's like uh, looking forward, like we need that candle to be burning. We need that reminder that, hey, this, ain't the, this is not how it all ends. That there is a future that is ours. And so have fun with Christmas, but dig deeply into Advent. Prepare room for Him in intentional ways. We try to give you some resources to help you do that. But it is so much about him breaking into our lives. Let me give you three, three kind of realms to maybe think about in the next, uh, next couple weeks. One would be, would be like a, like in a Jesus and you kind of way. Like, are you preparing room for him? Just, just you and him as, as a, as a son, as a daughter, this isn't about other people. This is about you and him. Can you dial into the fact in really specific ways that he he's with you? He's all about you. He thinks that you are awesome. And not because of what you can do or what you have done or anything. It's not a descriptive thing. It's just he loves you for you. Just for you being you. He's with you and he's for you and he's coming back for you. Like he's preparing a place for you. He's coming for you. And listen to me, all of the garbage that you fight, physically, emotionally, uh, uh, sin patterns with what's happened to you in the past, what's happening now, what's going to happen, every single bit of it, you will not carry that into eternity. You will be free from it. So he loves you and he's with you and he's made a promise to you and he's coming for you and he will, you'll leave all that stuff behind. That's what your future looks like. And you may have to hang in there and endure some stuff in this life. We all do. But that candle that's burning is supposed to remind us of something. That this world is not all there is. Like John, uh, last week when he preached... Luke twelve thirty two says, Fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That term that how what a personal endearing term for Jesus to say, Hey, little flock, my little lambs, don't be afraid. You know what makes your father like filled with joy? Giving giving you his kingdom. That's what that candle points us to. Reminds us of it. 
So consider, consider your ways as a son, as a daughter, and intentionally put your hands to things that are going to like, connect you to his presence with you. Jesus and you will be the first realm. The second realm would be Jesus and us. Like us, like collectively as a church family. Um, it, it could be like your, your friends, your spouse, your immediate family, that kind of stuff. But I think uh, as a church family, this is such a unique time for us to journey together. Um, togetherness takes on unique meaning, I think, during Advent. Because you're not some, some person on an island standing out there singing that last song. Like a bride waiting for her groom. I'll be me waiting for you. No. We'll be a church ready for you. Every heart longing for our king, you're not the only heart longing for that. So it's important to stand side by side with believers during this time. As we say, yeah, we're, we're holding on to that first advent, and we're holding on to that second advent, and we're not doing it by ourselves. So I would encourage you to embrace the togetherness of advent, that you are not alone on this journey, that no one walks alone in it, and that we are on a trajectory not just you. We are on a trajectory. And that is a very important thing to be reminded of. And so I'd encourage you to show up for stuff. I encourage you to be here all these Sundays. I encourage you to be here for Lessons and Carols. I encourage you to be here for Christmas Eve. I know sometimes you have family obligations and sometimes you know that's kind of hard to navigate, but I'd push for it. Because we're going to work our way around that candle, that Advent wreath. We're headed toward that Christ candle. And don't you want to be here with your church family, if you can, to celebrate that together? So Jesus and you, Jesus and us. And the last thing would be Jesus and them. I do, I'll do some air quotes for my podcast friends. Them. Jesus and them. I don't know who them would be for you. But it's really anyone that you're around at any given moment. Like during Advent, we're, we're the hope bringers. Or, or that all year long. But this year, if you're dialed in to Jesus and you and Jesus and us, then that changes a lot of times how we engage with people, with coworkers and uh, cashiers and neighbors and that kind of stuff. And so Jesus is with us. That's what the incarnation is, God with us. That means that he's with that cashier in the moment that you're standing there checking out because you're, you're there. So he's with them because you're with them. He's with your neighbors when you're with your neighbors. He's, he's with your coworkers when you are with your coworkers. And so this is, this is a time to also like to bring that hope to people in all the different ways that we can. To have a vision for what your advent can be as a son and daughter, as a part of a faith community, and also as a group of people who are sent out into our community, into our city. Like all of those things are consistent with who Jesus is and what he's come to do. And so every moment counts. That's why the Advent devotionals are important. That's why the readings are important. That's why our gatherings are important. That's why the Mason party is important. It's why the Advent offering is important. It's why the, the senior adult tea is important. It's why like, all these gatherings, why lessons and carols is important. That's why all these things are all important. Whether it's about you or us or them or, or all those things combined together. Now is the time to consider your ways and how that's going to play out over the next couple of weeks. As we work our way toward that candle in the center. Look at verse 12 as we close. I'm, I'm hustling here. Then Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Joshua the son of Jehozadak.
the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Okay, that's, that's not bad fear. That's, that's a reverent, like, to stand in awe of the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. I am with you. Do you need more than that? You know, like as a preacher, you realize I could just preach that every week. God has a message for you. I am with you. All right, let's go. You ready? <laughs> you know, like it could, I could preach that short if you want me to. That, like that is the crucial message for us to carry. I am with you, declares the Lord. So I hope that for you and for me that we look at these next couple of weeks, not for the chaos that can come and the busyness and the fun and the to-do lists and all that, like all those, put all those things in a different category. The Advent journey is deep. And it is full of expectation and hope. And it is so positive. It's also kind of dark because we realize like, man, we're, we're living in a rough place until he returns. And so we have those, those Maranatha prayers, the, the like, like come Lord Jesus prayers during this time. But man, this time is important. And if Haggai went in there to be a reorienting presence to them, then maybe Advent is God's gift to us to reorient us. He reminded them of the temple and how crucial God's presence was. Here we are, the incarnation, God with us, so crucial to us. And so I hope that you are, I hope that you are encouraged. I hope that you look at the next couple of weeks and for how exciting it can be to journey and to do it together. And so we will respond and we will respond together. And we do this in like kind of the same ways every week. And so let me run through those quickly if you're not regular with us. You can pray. You can come and you pray where you are. You can come and kneel at the steps if, if that's helpful to you. We'll have some staff members on the front row who would love to pray with you if you're looking for someone to just connect with. You can give at our giving stations on the corners over here. You can, you can sing. We're going to sing some songs that are connected to these same ideas. You can receive communion. Let me tell you, here's something that, that I love about communion uh, all the time, especially during Advent. Is communion is a reminder of a future meal. When you, when you step up to, the, to the, the person that's serving and you take the bread and you dip it in the juice, that's how we do it here. What that is reminding you of is like it's supposed to point us not only back to the death of Jesus, but also the fact that Jesus like, hey, one day we're going to do this together. Like in each other's like, like, like unfiltered presence. So there's a future meal. Jesus is supposed, he's supposed to be here for this and he isn't, but he will be. And so if you're wanting to connect forward as well, then communion is one of the gifts that he's given us. And so whichever of those is going to help you maybe dial in to God being with us, uh, whatever that's helpful to you, we give you some options. So there are your options. So if you would, stand with me. We're going to sing over this time. And whatever, whatever response connects with you the most, we want to invite you. You don't have to be a member of this church to take communion here. If you want what Jesus is offering to you, then uh, like go for it. But let me pray for us before we begin to sing.
God, I'm thankful for um, for the entirety of Scripture. I love these little, like, small prophetic books that, uh, to me, make so much sense, even on We, too, can be guilty sometimes of getting our heads buried into our own agenda and our own comforts and our own whatever. We lose sight of the most important thing in our lives, which is you and the fact that you're with us and you are at work among us. So I'm thankful for Haggai's words uh, to his community then and to our community today. And I ask that you help all of us here know where, where this stuff is supposed to land. Because whether it's you, you and us as sons and daughters or you and us as a family or you and those that we're sent to live among who need to know you, there's hope in every one of those realms. There's hope in this room. There's hope because we know you have come just like you said you would and you're coming again just like you said you would. And now we just need to grab onto both of those arrivals. We need to prepare room for you. We need to make space for you. And there is no greater joy for us. So we thank you for your forgiveness of the times when we have forgotten that. Thank you for reminders. Thank you for being so patient with us. And as we sing and give and pray and just respond, uh, pray that you would have your way during these closing moments. We love you. Pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, our tables are open whenever you are ready.